Hello, my friends. Today, I want to show you a terrifying ad. It's an ad promoting suicide, promoting it. And it's sponsored by a fashion company. What? Yes, I'll tell you. I'll show you. But first, I want to invite you to get a subscription to what we call Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of the show. Why? So you can see the ad. You have to see it with your eyes. I don't want you to just hear it on the podcast. Watch this ad. Just subscribe to Rebel News Plus. Go to rebelnewsplus.com, eight bucks a month. A bargain at twice the price. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, Canada is now world famous for suiciding the young, the old, the sick, and the poor. It's November 30th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. We have different beats here at Rebel News. I like to talk about the trucker convoy, the the lockdowns, the federal politics, freedom of speech, foreign affairs in the U.S. and China and elsewhere. Other reporters here cover other beats. Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter, covers Western issues, firearms, and she also covers life issues, as in governments snuffing out life. And unfortunately in Canada, that is happening a lot. Crazy stuff, like government doctors deciding they won't give a woman an organ transplant because she won't get jabbed, completely unrelated. So they're just sentencing her to death, really. Here's our reporter, Celine Galas, asking Alberta Premier Danielle Smith about that. Hi, Premier Smith. Uh, Celine Galas here with Rebel News. You had previously announced to protect the vaccination status in the Alberta Human Rights Code. You've backed off that plan for this sitting, but lives are still on the line. Annette Lewis was denied a transplant because of her vaccination status, and she will die without it. Does your government have plans to address this medical coercion? Um, I am uh, seeking a second opinion on that particular case, and I know that there is at least one other case as well. So as soon as I have a, res- a result from that, I will let you know. Uh, but on the, the general issue, um, I've, I've, I've been pretty clear <laughs> that we do not want to see discrimination against anybody on the basis uh, basis of their booster status or their vaccination status. And I'm hopeful that the business community and other entities operating this province have heard that message loud and clear, and will make sure to bring their policies into alignment with, with that objective. Do you have a timeline for this? Because I feel like it is a very time-sensitive matter. The, the difficulty with, with transplant uh, transplant patients is that they do have a protocol they go through to determine who has the best likelihood of survivability. And so that's why I need to have a second medical opinion. I don't want to to uh, supersede that. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to get an, a, an opinion in, in the matter of a number of weeks. Imagine being a doctor, motto, do no harm, Hippocratic Oath. And you're voting to essentially sentence someone to death by denying them life-saving treatment. You know, doctors can be angels, or they can be angels of death. That's the nickname they gave Dr. Joseph Mengele, the angel of death. He really was a doctor in Nazi Germany who really did atrocious medical experiments on concentration camp victims in Nazi Germany. So many doctors were actually involved. It wasn't just him. Afterwards, they had the doctor trials, as they were called, in the city of Nuremberg. That's where they came up with the phrase, the Nuremberg Code. It was part of the verdict. It was a list of principles to be followed so that never again would people be forced to take medical procedures against their wishes. 
without prior informed consent and the ability to remove that consent. For nearly 80 years, that was the gold standard in medical ethics. The pandemic blew that away, and now we're here. Not just where doctors withhold medical care to kill someone. That's passive murder, I guess, but where they proactively actually kill someone. It's not even suicide, is it? That's homicide. Of course, they give it a prettier name. MAID, M-A-I-D, Medical Assistance in Dying. No, sorry, that's, that's homicide. Anyways, that's the beat of a few of our reporters here, including Sheila Gunn-Reed. In fact, uh, she's running a petition against it right now. Lots of signatures. Here's an excerpt from her video on this medical assistance in suicide. Physician-assisted suicide has received a rebrand. To shirk the stigma, it's now called MAID, medical assistance in dying. It seems a little less sinister when you put it that way, less like doctor-induced homicide and more like, you know, just a helping hand. But it might be more accurate in some respects since it's easier than ever to take your own life with the help of the publicly funded, completely rationed Canadian healthcare system. A nurse or a pharmacist can help a patient and their life now. If you agree with me, that Canadians need proper care, not prompt dispatching at the hands of some overly eager medical professional, please visit helpnothomicide.com and sign the petition. Now, medical homicide in Canada is happening for all manner of reasons and not just because someone is facing imminent death due to a painful terminal illness. A 51-year-old woman in Ontario with severe sensitivities to chemicals took her own life with the help of the medical system, because she couldn't get better housing. In Toronto, a 90-year-old woman chose a medically-assisted way out because she couldn't face any more time in government-caused COVID lockdowns in her retirement facility. A 66-year-old Montreal man chose medically-assisted death because he couldn't quickly access home care that he needed to deal with his other medical needs. A 54-year-old Vancouver woman plagued with debts because of her chronic medical conditions told Chatelaine that a medically-assisted death might be her only option. This young woman wants to choose medical assistance in death due to chronic illness, diabetes, and bulimia. She wants to leave behind a fiancé and her young son. And then, a Veterans Affairs caseworker allegedly admitted to helping Canadian veterans end their lives. Well, I've heard about the story a bit in the media. It's not ignored completely, but it's not being given the attention I think it deserves. More people will be killed this year by doctors on purpose through MAID than will die from COVID-19 in Canada. That's a fact. You'd think it would be bigger news. Well, it is news, sort of. A fashion company called Simons thinks this is an important issue, as in they support it. They love it. They think suicide is important to promote, to glamorize suicide. I'm not sure how that sells women's clothing, but Simons has produced a fancy TV ad to promote suicide, not to oppose suicide, not to support Mental Health Week, not to support the Kids Help Phone or Suicide Crisis Hotline. The opposite. Simons has engaged an ad agency to make a beautiful ad promoting suicide as a beautiful exit. They are literally pro-death. Here's their CEO, or chief merchant, as he calls himself, merchant of death. I'm not sure if he thinks he can sell more clothes by being the pro-homicide fashion designer out there. Not sure how that works. 
But listen to this self-righteous murderer condoner. He's bragging about how brave he is. He is. He's brave for telling women to kill themselves. Take a look. Some new roles that I've taken on recently have let me to be, be much more involved in the creative uh, teams at Simons. It's been a really an honor and a pleasure and a challenge. And uh, it's allowed me to be involved in a, a new project that uh, has really pushed us to our limits. And I felt the need to talk to you about it today to explain why we did this project, because it is very different from what we've done in the past. And where does this story begin? I guess it begins six months ago after I met a young woman uh, called uh, who, Jennifer, who uh, despite being uh, at the, the, the end of her life uh, due to a, an illness, uh, really wanted to uh, tell her story. And, and she was courageous, uh, she was beautiful, she was intelligent and thoughtful. Uh, she was inspiring. We decided to try to tell her story and uh, to, as Jennifer would say to me, maybe create a little ripple out there, a ripple of generosity, uh, a ripple that might uh, allow people to see beauty in, obviously, in, in the nice moments, but more importantly, to have the strength and the courage to see beauty in the more difficult moments in life. And that's what we've tried to do is with generosity, tell Jennifer's story. And it's not a story about um, the end of Jennifer's life. It's a celebration of Jennifer's life. She dedicated herself to helping others. Uh, despite a lot of difficult circumstances, I think she rose above them with resilience. And uh, I believe that she, she had the courage to see beauty everywhere and to live in the moment. And perhaps if her story can lead others to see that hope, optimism, and ultimately come to generosity. That's an important uh, message for, for all of us. If we make the effort to see the hard beauty, not only the easy beauty, uh, it, it reminds us, it shows us a path toward that hope and optimism and, and, and generosity and connection between us. It reminds us to, how to how to be more, how to give more, how to feel more, how to be more connected to one another. How is this different from what we've done before? It's, it's obviously not a commercial campaign. It's, it's, it's more an effort to use our freedom, our voice, and the privilege we have to speak and create every day here in a way that is more about human connection. And I think we sincerely believe that companies have a responsibility uh, to, 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 to participate in communities and to help build the communities that we want to live in tomorrow and leave to our children. And, and this is one little gesture. I admit I'm scared, but I would say, uh, I think without, uh, Perhaps courage, I say that with humility, uh, there, there is no creativity and there is no, no, no possibility of making beauty. So if, if people could follow us down that road, I just ask that they look deeper and celebrate Jennifer's life and, and the choices she made and, and make that effort and perhaps they'll see some of the beauty that I saw in Jennifer and, and how she chose to live 
her life and and the final days of her life. Now, the ad itself never comes right out and says that she was killed by doctors. It's ambiguous. They say she was terminally ill. So maybe he's not quite that brave, but he sure is proud of himself. Here's the ad making suicide glamorous. Dying in a hospital is not what's natural. That's not what's soft. In these kind of moments, you need softness. take dying to figure out what living is actually like. I spent my life filling my heart with beauty, with nature, with connection. So I choose to fill my final moments with the same Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see music. I see the ocean. I see cheesecake. I seek help to end my life with all the pain and in these final moments there is still so much beauty you just have to be brave enough to see it Seeing the rhythms of what's going to keep going after I'm gone bring a lot of comfort. That's satanic, isn't it? So so naturally, Trudeau, CBC state broadcaster, loves it. Just euphoric about the normalization and the commercialization of euthanasia. Here's a, a story they wrote, 1,500 words of pro-euthanasia propaganda without a single voice of concern or criticism or a disabled advocate, just, just gushing over murder. In fact, the reality of government-sponsored homicide is not just unglamorous compared to that sexy ad. It's deeply troubling. In Canada, 
military veterans are now routinely being counseled to commit suicide. It's not a one-off. It's a policy. A half dozen such cases, at least, that we know of. Veterans with PTSD, well, they cost a lot, you see. And Trudeau just doesn't have money to take care of them. He has enough money to fight them in court or to kill them, but, but not to help them. I was prepared to be injured in the line of duty when I, went to, when I joined the military. Nobody forced me to join the military. I was prepared to be killed in action. What I wasn't prepared for, Mr. Prime Minister, is Canada turning its back on me. So which veteran was it that you were talking about? Thank you, sir. Thank you for your uh, passion and your strength and being here today to share this uh, justifiable frustration and anger with me and with all of us here. Uh, thank you for having the courage to stand here uh, and thank you for listening to my answer. On a couple of elements you brought up. First of all, uh, why are we still uh, fighting against certain uh, veterans groups in court? Uh, because uh, they are asking for more than we are able to give right now. Um, they are asking for more than we... Well, no, hang on. You're asking, you're asking for honest answers. It's not just veterans, it's people who are in pain or people who are depressed or just people having a rough go, but sometimes it's just people who are poor. Imagine thinking it's better to kill yourself than to be poor. I guess you could think it, but imagine a government that would say, yes, yes, we agree, kill yourself. There's no hope for you. Look at this, Canadian man facing eviction except for country, accepted for country's legal euthanasia. That's a story in the Daily Mail. He's a Canadian who was counseled to kill himself because he was depressed about being poor. Now, public reaction to his new story changed his mind. That, got, that story got more press overseas than it did here at home in Canada. Canada will soon allow medically assisted dying for mental illness. Has there been enough time to get it right? <laughs> Global Mail says you can get it right. Mental illness, even eating disorders, are now considered grounds for someone to kill themselves. Here's another document. This is incredible. It's now, this is now how it is in Canada. It's coming to the U.S. soon, too, I'm sure. This is incredible. Biden's senior advisor, Ezekiel Emanuel, who's a brother of Rahm Emanuel, uh, Obama's former chief of staff, he has argued that suicide is good because it saves the government money. Well, that's what happens when the government's in charge. They care about money more than your life. Jonathan Swift, the great satirist, hundreds of years ago wrote something called a modest proposal. That was a joke in itself. It wasn't a modest proposal. It was an outrageous proposal. He proposed to eat the poor. It was a horrendous dark joke, meant as a joke, meant as a social commentary. It's now not a joke anymore. It's a scheme. It's a plot, isn't it? And look at this from the Ontario College of Physicians and Surgeons. That's the regulator for doctors, telling doctors who commit assisted suicide, not only that it's a good thing to do, but they must not write suicide on the death certificate, but rather to claim that the underlying disease killed these patients instead of the suicide. Let me read to you paragraph 11. When completing the medical certificate of death, Physicians, A, must list the illness, disease, or disability leading to the request for made as the cause of death. And B, must not make any reference to medical assistance in dying or the medications administered on the certificate. 
but, but that's a lie. The disease leading to the request for suicide, I'm poor, I'm depressed, I'm in pain, that didn't kill them. The doctor did. And the doctors are being told to lie about it. That's Canada. It's normal here now. It's still shocking around the world. Can I show you two videos that our friend Sheila did just last night in the U.S. alone? Here she is on Newsmax. Sheila Gunn-Reed is the editor-in-chief of Rebel News in Canada, and she joins us now. Sheila, it's good to have you on. Uh, let's talk about the ad for a second. It really shows how dark the left has become. I mean, they're, they're trying to almost make it sexy to kill yourself. You know, what you're seeing here is the corporate manifestation of the completely entrenched culture of death that we see before us here in Canada. You know, as Canadians, the idea that a clothing company would do an advertisement for medical assistance in dying, frankly, it doesn't shock us. Because we live in a society where Justin Trudeau's government has, as you pointed out in your intro, um, made it very easy to just end your time on this earth. They've removed the 10-day wait time from when you ask for medical assistance in dying and when you receive it. So your worst day could be your last day. And when I say medical assistance in dying, that doesn't mean that this is going to be administered by a doctor that knows you. It can be done by a nurse or a medical professional, which may mean a pharmacist. And so what you're seeing here, this corporation that is promoting this, this is all part and parcel of the rewrite of our society here at the hands of Justin Trudeau. That's great. And a few hours later, Sheila was invited on Fox News. Take a look at this. Sheila Gunn-Reed, editor-in-chief of Rebel News. She's running a national campaign to force the government to end this practice. Sheila, it seems to me that they're selling assisted suicide with a you know, very sophisticated, um, fun, kind of adventurous message. Uh, what the heck is going on up north? Laura, I just want to thank you so much for your interest in this. Unlike the corporate media here in Canada that's been tainted by Justin Trudeau's bailouts at Rebel News, we're one of the few independent outlets that can still speak about these in these issues freely, but also with the sense of horror the issue rightly deserves. We see companies do this all the time. We see them align themselves with government on issues like climate change and BLM and reproductive issues. They go woke. This is what it means to be woke in Canada now. So why wouldn't corporations align themselves with this next anti-human, anti-life thing? I just want to point out to you how extreme Canada is on this issue. Justin Trudeau's government has removed the 10-day wait time from when you ask for medical assistance in suicide and when you receive it. And you don't have to do it in writing. You can just verbally ask the state to kill you. To put this all into context, we had about 16,000 deaths in Canada related to COVID. Depends on how you count that, of COVID or with COVID. But it was 16,000 deaths. We know that there were 10,000 requests in writing for medically assisted suicide. And that doesn't take into account the deaths that, occurred because somebody just verbally asked for it and received it on the very day that they asked for it. And when we say medical assistance in suicide, don't think for a second that that means a doctor's participating in this. It doesn't have to be your doctor. It can just be a medical professional. That might be a nurse that is seeing you today for the first time, or even a pharmacist that's helping you take a short trip off a long or, a, you know, take a short trip off the earth 
um, that's the state of affairs here in Canada. Brits and Americans care about our homicide doctors. Why don't Canadians? Stay with us for more. Eyes here at Rebel World Headquarters have been focused on the Trucker Commission in Ottawa. I think that's a very important story. It's an echo of even more important story, the trucker convoy itself. And yesterday, I have to say, I was riveted on the popular uprising in China that seems to be getting even bigger and bolder. Just incredible. Other things catch our eye, including Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Is that an American story or a world story? I think it's a story of the theme that we care about, freedom of speech. That said, we are Canadian, and I myself was born in the great province of Alberta, and I still, even though I'm here in exile in Toronto, regard myself as a spiritual Albertan, if nothing less. I think it is one of the most important provinces, and it's been called many times a laboratory for political ideas, from Ralph Klein, of course, to, well, I put it to you, the new Premier, Premier Danielle Smith, who recently took her seat in the legislature, having won a by-election, she outlined her agenda yesterday in a press conference. I'd like to show you a clip of that and then to walk us through the meaning of it, not just to Alberta, but to the rest of the country too. Our friend Lauren Gunter, the senior columnist of the Edmonton Sun. But first, here's a couple of minutes of Premier Danielle Smith. We need uh, the power to reset the relationship with Ottawa. That's what this is all about. We've, we've tried different things in the past and it hasn't worked. So we've got to try something new. And I must tell you, I believe it's already working. And the proof of that is the, um, the most recent COP27 uh, final resolution that came forward. And if you look at uh, Minister Stephen Gibbo's comments about why he did not support that, he said it's because in Canada, natural resources are provincial jurisdiction. And if he signed on to a resolution to phase out oil and natural gas, he would face a legal challenge from the provinces that Ottawa would not win. Now, this is not language I've ever heard out of Stephen Gibault, but I think it goes to the work that our Environment Minister, Sonia Savage, has done in helping to educate Ottawa that we are not a subordinate level of government, that we want... Explain why you need this power. Like, what is so urgent that you would use what is normally an emergency power to skip around the legislature to... Because we've to been ignored. On we've been ignored for 10 years. The, uh, the former uh, premier, Rachel Notley, tried the climate leadership plan to get a better relationship with Ottawa. It failed. Uh, our former premier, uh, Jason Kenney, tried to have a collaborative relationship with Stephen Gibault in Quebec to get LNG export. It failed. We put forward an equalization referendum to try to start a conversation to change the relationship with Ottawa. It failed. So now we're going to try something new. I think we've got their attention. We've got their attention because I know with the relationship that we're now seeing develop with the, with the federal government, finally recognizing that they cannot pass carte blanche power over our natural resources, that they have recognized our industrial pricing program around industrial emissions for CO2, that they have accepted that natural resources fall within our jurisdiction. I think that that begins a constructive relationship, and that's what this was all about. You do not have that, cha that relationship change without a push. This was a push, and here's the point. I hope we never have to use this bill. I hope that we've sent a message to Ottawa that we will vigorously defend our constitutional areas of jurisdiction and they should just butt out. 
They should work collaboratively with us on areas where we have common cause. And I, I, I'm hoping that we're beginning to see a change in that relationship. That's the reason you put forward a piece of legislation like this. It's the reason why Scott Moe put forward a similar piece of legislation which incidentally, the NDP in, in uh, Saskatchewan are supporting because they are also realizing that you've got to put Saskatchewan first. We are putting Alberta first, and I would invite the NDP to join us in supporting this bill. Well, isn't that interesting? I have to say, if that speak was, speech was spoken en français, it would be completely unremarkable because that generally has been the point of view of every premier of Quebec, whether they're the Parti Québécois, the Liberals, or the new CAC party, Standing up for Quebec jurisdiction and staring down at Ottawa is actually common currency amongst all the provinces. You'll notice that the placard on her podium said standing up for Alberta. And I think one of the knocks on Jason Kenney over the last few years was not just his heavy handed uh, approach to the lockdowns, but rather his failure to stand up sufficiently vigorously to Ottawa. At least that's my take, but some would say I've gone all Toronto-ish having been out here for a while. So let's go to our man who can give us the proper understanding of Edmonton. He's our Sherpa out there. I'm talking about our friend Lauren Gunter, senior columnist of the Edmonton Sun. Great to see you again, my friend. How are you? Good to see you. you you're still Albertan at the core. I can I, I can sense that. So Well, thank so you for the compliment. Um I mean, Al Alberta is an interesting place, and like Quebec, I think like Newfoundland, like BC, it always profits a premier to fight against Ottawa, and, and not just for sizzle reasons. There is some substance to it, too. Danielle Smith pointed out that maybe the feds blinked at saying we're going to phase out oil and gas because they know they're going to have a tougher time with Danielle Smith as premier. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know that either, but... I am surprised that Gibo uh, said that at uh, COP27 in Egypt uh, because that, that the feds have not cared. That, that's one of the reasons why I like this act. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot in it that is redundant, that there's already the existing powers under the Constitution for the provincial government to do a lot of the things laid out in the Sovereignty Act. I think a lot of it is going to be uh, is going to end up being a dead end. Uh, you know, for instance, one of the things that the provincial government wants to do with this act is put the onus on the feds to show that a law they pass is constitutional, rather than Alberta having to go to court, sometimes with other provinces, to say what to see whether the courts will uphold. The, the federal law is constitutional. I think in the end, you know, the feds are the feds and they, they appoint all the judges above the provincial level anyway. And in every province, all the federal judges appointed by Ottawa, you're unlikely to get many courts mm -hmm. that will rule federal legislation is unconstitutional. But it does happen every once in a while. And I think it's good for the province to say, look, until you can come back to us and have a court order that says this is constitutional, we're not abiding by this law. Will it buy us much time? Probably not. Will it get us new results? Maybe. And I think that's what's useful to me yeah. in this law, is that maybe they'll give Ottawa indigestion or a headache mm -hmm. or a rash <laughs> that, that the feds have to deal with by giving us a little salve now and then. And so... Yes, I, I mean, I, 
is this the be all and end all? No. But after having been battered by the feds for 40 years, uh, and especially since 2015 when the true liberals took over, it's a welcome relief to see the provincial government putting this kind of pressure. I'll give you an example of why I think it's unnecessary, but why I don't mind that. Before this bill came in, the feds had announced that they were going to ban handguns in Canada. And Tyler Shandro, who is the justice minister in Alberta, said, fine, we think that's wrong. We think it's ridiculous. We don't think it's going to achieve anything in bringing down crime in Canada because criminals already don't obey laws about gun restrictions. But if you're going to do this, understand, the RCMP is the local police force in all but a few of the major cities in Alberta. And we, the province of Alberta, pay for them to be the police. We are not going to authorize a single cent 